Hey, Vikings fans, number 96, Brian Robinson is bringing NYC's cheesiest food stand to U.S. Bank Stadium. Visit Mack Truck Mac and Cheese on Minnesota Vikings game days for a new game time snack. We'll try to play to his strengths, but we'll uh, do what he does best. You know, he's going to certainly have a significantly more role as the season goes on. When you start to see a team doing that because they're having success, they're enjoying the moment, and that is infectious. Those locker rooms that do that are insanely infectious, and that is where they just believe we are going to build this to a victory. Seven and one and still having fun. This is the Minnesota Vikings podcast. My name is Tatum Everett. I'm here inside TCO Studios with Gabe Henderson, Jay Nelson, and our esteemed producer, Eric Davidson, who's always making us look very good each and every week, or at least sound good. Probably should say sound good. Anyway, the Vikings trailed the commanders by 10 points in the fourth quarter only to secure a comeback victory. Minnesota now on a six-game win streak and 6-0 and in one-score games this season. Who'd have thought, guys? Um, Jay would have. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Just remember last year at this time when we were oh. saying, how are we losing these one-score games? And now this year, how much it has flipped on its head. It, it feels pretty good on this side, right? It does. This is a much better side. Sunday was the first time I was nervous in a close game because that's the type of game that the commanders like to play. They're, sure. they're chippy. They're gritty. If they can hold you to, to less than 24 points, they usually win the game. So uh, Pete Bursage and I were sitting beside each other, and he kept writing me notes while he was talking. He was like, oh, this is going to happen. And for sure, what he was saying actually happened. Like, okay, we need an interception here. It's going to happen. Harrison Smith got an interception. Well, they're going to stop us on second down, so we got to r- throw a go route to Justin Jefferson. Next play, we do it. So uh, things started to, to go back in our favor, but I'm glad we got the win. Nostra Bursage? Yeah. This point's at Nostr- Nostradamus. It's Nostra Bursic. Nostr- oh, okay. He's reading what's happening. He's reading the tea leaves. I mean, those guys had an interesting day yesterday, oh, period, boy. from the booth. But Were you listening to the power trip this morning? I, besides the power trip, I was listening to the game and heard all the chaos that oh, happened boy. in their booth. See, that's the thing. And when you're on the road, you can't listen to the game broadcast. So I have no idea what happened. So there was an unruly fan that was right in front of them that eventually it got to the point where SWAT members came in and basically yeah. removed the person from the arena oh, because wow. of how much they were messing with Pete and Oh, they're messing and with the radio so, guys? Yeah, so long story short, the guy in the first quarter was like looking at me. He was like, hey, I like your, your sweater. And I was like, okay. Then he started talking to PA and he was like, PA, what's your name? Uh, my name's Paul Allen. I do, I'm voice of the Vikings, uh, blah, 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 blah. Then Pete Burster started talking and then it got till about the second quarter and the guy like literally wasn't watching the game, was just, just watching us, like pointing at us. It was the most creepy thing I've, I've ever seen in my life. And then um, long story short, um, he said an obscene, he did an obscene gesture to Pete Bursich. Pete Bursich said something on air and I, Jared Wells. You could hear it? Oh, yeah. yeah. I was dry. I could hear it on the air. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, there's something going on here. The room awareness for Jared Wells, who was the producer and during the show, uh, when the obscene gesture was, was said, he turned down all the mics and then Pete Bursich was going back and forth and uh, eventually, wow. I looked over to Brian Harper. I was like, hey, we need to get SWAT team, somebody in here. And we won the game. Yes. <laughs> so if you want the full accounting of what happened, power trip. And I know PA yeah. was going to talk okay. about it with Bursich. So definitely go listen to the podcast from the KFN shows today. Wow. It is amazing. It is amazing how you have to juggle so many things when you're like live on television. It really is. And yeah. also, And also with this, it's like 
and you got the win out of it. So the chaos of everything that happened yeah. in the game, those guys showing their professionalism of having to deal with this unruly fan, heckler, whatever you want to call it, yeah. on top of the chaos of the game was just unbelievable radio to listen to. I mean, when you think about how much money you spend to go to an NFL game, right, that's a lot of hard-earned money. And you're going to waste it by heckling the radio booth of the visiting team? I I mean, mean, come on. I blame the back judge that ran into Cam Bynum because that's how it all started. Is it? Because Pete was so livid. And then the guy was like, okay, we're winning. I'm going to start heckling this guy. So I I blame the back judge. And then Pete I think a lot of people blame the back judge on things. Man, that game should have never been that close, but you get in those one-score games and you say, okay, well, this team has been here before, and yesterday was a, a sign that we know how to win those tight games and ultimately prepare us for Sunday's big game in, in Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny how this team has turned into a first quarter and end of fourth quarter kind of team. It, the bell curve has inverted at this point. <laughs> yeah. Where it's like first first quarter and fourth quarter, you're good. Last year it was kind of kind of second quarter and fourth quarter were the problem ones. Yeah. Um, but it, to me, the the best part about it is there's the feeling that even when you get to the end of the game, if you are behind, there's still the chance. And I, I just keep thinking it's kind of don't panic, just finish. And for those guys being down 10 in the fourth quarter against a very, very, very tough defensive line that was just giving them fits all day long and you still had the time, hit some go routes, you still had the ability to, to move the ball down the field. And and don't get it twisted. I mean, Kirk was taking some shots in yeah. that game. He had to sit out for the one play. But, you know, we've always talked about him being fairly durable. But, man, it was very, very evident in that game. And he took some shots and still was lacing in some passes for, you know, the the go ball for J.J., the, the wheel route touchdown for Delvin. There's a lot of different things that he was hitting when we needed it most. And, and you got the W. That was what was most important. And that's all while he's being hit. We saw the hit he took, knocked his breath out of him. And he was ready to go back in the next play. He just couldn't, you know. And yeah, so that yeah. was that just shows, you know, how durable this guy is. Not to mention he goes shirtless in the plane afterwards, and there wasn't a scratch on his body from what I could tell <laughs> in the some, video. There were some chains on, though. There are a lot of chains. A lot but, of, but chains probably no wore bruises. more than him. I was looking at it. I was like, dude. His I neck was sore. Not his body. <laughs> he may have gotten hit, but his neck was sore. Yeah, he he was, some neck rehab today for <laughs> uh, working out the kinks. He'll be on the injury report. It's questionable. <laughs> neck yeah. injury. Too much <laughs> Too much ice. Too much ice. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was great you love to see your quarterback uh kind of embracing the moment and when you when you win you can do things like that and um it, it's starting to seem like everybody is starting to get behind them john kime uh who was on our minnesota vikings podcast last friday uh used the word polarizing when describing Kirk cousins and i think that is that's that's pretty fair if you see if you know his track record but now you know seeing you know him embrace the moment his teammates embrace him uh, I think that's a, a huge contributor to why we're 7-1 right now. Last week he said, or uh, he told me, you know, it's all about winning. Winning really helps that happen. And I think with this team in particular, they are highlighting that side of Kirk. Like they're letting that side become more public. And so when your locker room is is so galvanized together, I think everyone becomes a little bit more comfortable. For sure. And and I think if you rem- I, I've talked to some other people about this, and for me, it, it what really sticks out was like 2017 Philly, when they were on that roll and they made the the run of the Super Bowl and everything, they were wearing the dog masks, they were going crazy with their end zone celebrations, and as a group, they were more galvanized than any team that I can really remember watching make a run like that, and that is when I see 
uh, ice videos on planes and locker room videos and Ziggy dancing in the locker room with the guys. <laughs> Brian Asamoah's new boombox. That kind of stuff. That's what I'm saying is when you start to see a team doing that because they're having success, they're not necessarily tightening up because of, oh, no, we might. What happens? It's like forget all of that. They're enjoying the moment. And that is infectious. Those locker rooms that do that are insanely infectious. And that is where you get one, you can get the next one. And then when you get in a sticky situation like you did on Sunday, they just believe. They believe they get to that that end of the game and they're like, we are going to will this to a victory. And you'd love to see it from this team right now. Jay, I'm glad you brought that point home because you started talking 2017 Philadelphia Eagles and I started <laughs> clenching up over here. I'm like, oh, where's the dog mask? Where are you going with this? But yep. yeah, to your point of uh, having that a, a moniker or something that that brings his team together. I mean, Kevin O'Connell in the post-game speech, the last thing, he, one of the last things he said is, get him those chains. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's a thing now. And yep. people look forward to it. I mean, just look at college football. You got the, Miami has like the necklace. or the you turnover the, chain. Yeah, the turnover chain. The so, chainsaws, all that kind of craziness. Those little things matter. And But it just helps your team get an identity. And, you know, the young guys with the veterans across the board, everyone's buying in. And that's what you need. You need for a team you need buy-in because then if something does happen and you have a stumbling block, people aren't pointing fingers. They're just saying, hey, this was this one. We're going to get the next one. And it's it. how many times have, have Gabe said the thing, you know, fix and flush? It's yeah. it's that mentality and, and, and it buys equity versus the oh no factor of something bad happens and then people start pointing fingers like that is that is a cancer on a team that can uproot an entire season. And we are luckily on the flip side of that. Cardinals. Just Just hoping this 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 lasts like you talk about the Eagles team. And I think that was something that started to boil in the middle of the season, not, you know, week one where they just came out firing and and had one little lapse there against the Eagles. and, And now they're finding out who they really are. This has to continue. And it's it's a tough November. It's a tough slate ahead for sure. You've got the Bills on Sunday. You've got the Cowboys ahead, the Giants. And we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, the oh, NFC gosh. East in just a little bit. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 nice to see. You know me after a year, I'm a little more pessimistic. <laughs> I'm just like, let's just hope this can continue. Right. For sure. So, yeah, um, that's all. I've, uh, yeah, I've, I've I've never been a part of a, and this is funny, um, I was talking to some of the coaches last week, uh, well, on the sideline in Washington, and I, we were just talking, you know, first get, first time back in D.C., I worked for the commanders, and I was talking to some of the guys, and they were like, man, it, it's got to feel great being in Minnesota now. And I was like, what you mean? He was like, six and three, I won't say the coach, he was like, man, we were six and three in 2018, but we had all this drama. So none of these wins felt like wins. And then uh, Scott Turner, who I'll name this name, he said, uh, you know, this is, you know, everything going on in Washington right now. People forget we were on a three-game win streak. So to be 7-1 and one and actually feel good about it, I think that's the most exciting part. I mean, being able to come to work and, like, talk about a winning team, um, I think that's what's make, made everything better. And our content has been killing it right now. So um, hopefully these wins keep stacking. It makes everyone in the building feel good. And given what I think a lot of people were predicting from the beginning of the season, you're essentially giving yourself some buffer that if you do have some stumbling blocks, yeah. whether it's through this next stretch or even the back end of the season, 
at least you're setting yourself up for the ultimate goal of making the playoffs and making a run. And it feels like being seven and one, you've got a little wiggle room to play with at this point. That's true. And I hope that that, um, you know, fans don't lose sight of that, because like we were just saying, November, we got a a tough run there. Plus, you know, one of the names that wasn't even mentioned, you get the Pats there with Belichick, who in the past has been the wizard of figuring out what is your weakness and showing everybody the blueprint on how to beat you. With all of these teams, though, coming up and these games coming up, if you do have a couple of stumbles that happen, you're still set up to potentially win your division make and, and have a good seed for a home playoff game if we're at that point. So we just got to keep building off of what we've had so far in this front half. Well, well, before we really get to those uh, more talks about the NFL around the league and, and the different divisions and uh, the storylines, let's get to our 3M play of the week. It's that time of the show where we like to highlight the biggest play of the game from the field to the roof and everywhere in between. 3M, the official science partner of the Minnesota Vikings, is here. Visit vikings.com backslash school science to learn more. Harrison Smith recorded his third interception in three games, a crucial one in the fourth quarter, to set up the game-tying drive, bringing us our play of the week compliments of Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook. Second and 10 from the 12. Cousins, shotgun, Dalvin to his left, takes the snap. Cousins throwing a fade to Dalvin in the end zone, and he caught it! Back left to the end zone! Greg Joseph would go on to kick the game-winning field goal to give the Vikings a 20-17 victory. But guys, thoughts on Dalvin Cook's wheel route and what Justin Jefferson called a 10 out of 10 catch by Dalvin Cook. Well, it was a 11 out of 10 throw by Kirk Cousins. Really he put was. it in the, sure. the, the perfect spot because, I mean, that's perfect DB coverage. You're, you're taught to to attack the guy's inside arm and pull it away. And literally, that's what I think was Kyle. No, it was Scott Cameron Curl. He did that, and the ball just landed up in Dalvin Cook's shoulder brace. I was going to say he grabbed the wrong arm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you, you can't draw it up any better than that. Kirk took another big hit. Uh, Dalvin did what Dalvin does. I think he showed the world again that he's he can be a receiving back also. I mean, he ran for 100 yards last week and it's like, okay, they're running. Dalvin Cook is back. Well, the catching Dalvin Cook is here too. So that was so well needed in, in, in that moment of the game. That was like further kind of exclamation point of just the game at that point where you felt like the tide was starting to shift. Like you said, Harrison Smith was an interception. And then you see that one-handed grab with an absolutely perfect spot on that throw. It was just everything coming together, feeling like, here we go again. And that's in a good way, not in the bad way. <laughs> it was funny when you were, it was in the opposite end zone of where the press box was. So my vantage point was so, it was pretty far. It was hard to see numbers. It was hard to really like see what was going on 100%, knowing who was who. And for the most part, you can tell. But when I all I could see was a player behind a defender with dreads, I was like, wow, KJ Osborne, what a catch. And then I was like, wait a second, that was Dalvin? Uh Like, it kind of took me by surprise because I just wasn't, A, expecting that from him, and B, I mean, he had dreads. I just didn't expect it was him. And so that, to me, that was kind of like, it was, I remember looking down at Craig and I was like, whoa, because Craig Peters, our editor, was also like, yeah, I thought that was KJ too. Yeah. I I just, with Dalvin, the thing about Dalvin is he can put that move and just all he needs is that extra half step. Yeah. Having that half step shows you how tight of a window. If you can get it there, he can make the play. And it was just such a, a perfect placement across the board for 
everyone involved. It was it was something that I don't think if going into that play you would think, yeah, we're going to go wheel route to Delvin as the thing that's going to score this touchdown. You would assume a fade or something that we've seen across or jump ball to, to TJ or something like that. But it just shows you how deadly Delvin can be when he gets in space. I love seeing the versatility and play calling in the red zone because we've seen a couple of different looks and to keep defenses guessing whenever you're down there, I think is so important as we're what, like eight games into the season? Seven and one. <laughs> That's math. Seven and one. This this part of the program saying, brought like, to you by math. Because like, I, honestly, I didn't know that we were eight games into the season. I just knew we were seven and one. Yeah, so yeah. Like, well, I, speaking, I guess that's seven and one. speaking of math, this was your 3M play of the week. 3M, the official science partner of the Minnesota Vikings. Not the math partner. Not the, the math partner. One. But maybe it will be after this. Sponsor us. <laughs> just kidding. All right, guys. Well, with, notes, su- <laughs> with Sunday's win, the Vikings take a four and a half game lead in the NFC North after the Lions beat the Packers. The Bears lost the Dolphins. What do we think of this division lead? Are the Vikings pretty much guaranteed to win? Jay? Yes. Doesn't that feel weird to say right now? I yes. feel like it's still not true, but I know it's true. Listen, Ben Gessling was already on Twitter after the game pointing out there is a roadmap for us to lock up the division on Thanksgiving night. Really? 100%. It's we went out, the Packers lose we win the next two games, the Packers lose the next two games. Oh, okay. The Lions go 1 and 2. And we are talking about wrapping up the division on Thanksgiving We're not talking night. about the Bears? The Bears would lose to the Lions. Oh, okay. So that, but that's the, but the point in that was saying there is wow. a roadmap okay. for us to wrap up the division on Thanksgiving night, which is getting the cart before the horse huge at this point, but it is a re- reality that we can face at this point. So essentially you're saying all the Packers need to do is lose two more games. Packers lose two games. And we win two games. It can be after Thanksgiving or wherever, but we'll be a lock for the playoffs. That is, is that essentially, essentially okay. you're getting to the point where you're looking at magic numbers and the way it has to happen. Okay. But Ben Gessling on Twitter pointed out after the game, yes, there is a there is a magic way to get there on Thanksgiving night. I mean, that's just incredible when you think of the amount of times I feel like the Vikings have been playing for a potential division title week 17 yeah, or week late. 18. It's, wow. And that's the thing is it, it just shows you how topsy-turvy this league is, let alone division is this year, that we're already having these discussions and it's week 10. Well, I mean, a four and a half game lead is just, it's insane. I think I saw a tweet today. It was um, the largest lead in division through nine weeks over the last 30 years. Yeah. The largest is five games by the 49ers in 2011. But the Vikings share a four and a half game lead with the 2007 Patriots. Yep. So it's only been done by the Vikings, Patriots, and then the 49ers and 11. So, That's I mean, right. this is kind of a historic thing. For sure. We'll take it. I guess you probably wouldn't have been able to to predict that or predict this collapse of, of the Green Bay Packers. I mean, you figure— Oh no! <laughs> Everyone thought they wouldn't be that great, but I don't know if I don't know if you could have predicted they'd be this bad. That's the crazy thing is they they started three and one and they've lost five straight. Yeah, and, five and, straight. And you've started to see a pattern of things that has never happened in the Aaron Rodgers era happening. One is losing five straight. <laughs> two was throwing two red zone interceptions yesterday for the first yes. time in his career. Yeah, and you watch the way that they imploded at Detroit. That was the 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 crazy thing is if you would have gone into it saying Detroit is going to have one win going into the week and they're going to beat the Packers that week, I don't think there's a whole lot of people at the beginning no. of the season that would have said that this is going to be a thing. But it just shows you that after all of the problems Detroit has had, if the Packers can only kick three field goals in a game, 
typically Aaron Rodgers would be able to throw them back into a game and throw a couple touchdowns to their A1 wide receiver. All the injuries they've had, all the turmoil that they've had, losing the line, Devontae yeah. Adams they, mm-hmm. and the line, they just they have not found a way. I mean, for God's sakes, they were trying to throw a pass to David Bakhtiari yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> he lined up as an extra lineman and went into the end zone, and that was on the, the second interception in the red zone was them Bakhtiari running a route in, in the end zone. Wasn't it like Aiden back. Hutchinson? Aiden Hutchinson is yeah. the one yeah. that ended up. Te- so, mm-hmm. but the point being, like, they are literally trying to find anything that they can to get back on track. And whether it's the locker room, the fan base, whatever, people are not knowing how to handle this. And and I think there's a lot of Minnesota fans going, "Welcome to the party." But I think for the way that this is happening so far, like you can sit there and and kind of smirk and say, "Yay, look at us!" And they're they're dealing with what they're dealing with. But I also think for the team, at least, you look at it and say. They are within our periphery and they are gone. They are down the road. We are not paying attention to them. We are looking at the bigger picture of how do we focus on us and how do we get to the long-term goal of having success. Jay, you sound like we're in like a toxic relationship <laughs> with the Green Bay Packers. It's like I'm, oh, I'm not thinking about you because because I, I don't love think to hate you. It is, like, but you're so right though because yeah, it's like, not like the Packers worry about the Vikings yeah. as much, right? Like that's one thing I've heard here is right. that like the, the Packers care more about the Bears, right? Yeah. They, got, so, they got they got their, their own girlfriend, right? So they're in like this yeah we're in like this love triangle that yeah. like we're not getting any attention from yeah. the Packers. It's because the Packers love the Bears and yeah. they love to hate them more. But now you got to really fear us, right? And the Lions are like, okay, I'll play both of you. Like, the Lions are just are. like, oh, no. They, okay, you want to call us a side piece? We got you. But the Lions, for some reason, they have always had the Green Bay Packers number. When you look at uh, just the the historic, you know, history, I don't, I can't think of their record right now, but I, I went to that game thinking, okay, it may be a closer game than normal, similar to like a Vikings-Bears game, but whoever has to drive the ball in the last drive is going to win the game. So the fact that, I mean, Aaron Rodgers threw three interceptions to three rookies, like you, you can't you can't make that up. So we'll see. In previous years, though, those were the games where Aaron Rodgers was heaving a last second hail mary, <laughs> yeah. and they yeah. were catching the ball. Yeah. Like that's the difference where they are throwing the kitchen sink at the problems, and they still can't. I mean, they were down six, and I saw that the Lions went for it on fourth down on the Green Bay forty three yard line. Did not get it, so they gave Aaron Rodgers the ball on the Green Bay 43-yard line with two minutes left in the game, and I went, this game's over. I said, this is over. Green Bay's got this. How how can they not move the ball uh, 57 yards, score a touchdown in two minutes, and knock the Lions the way that the Lions are going to lie in? And this (laughs) time they didn't Mm. because Aaron Aaron. (laughs) <laughs> and, and so it just feels good it, that it feels that's, weird it feels good that as like if this year if the vikings weren't as strong yeah. like let's say if they weren't seven and one and the packers were in the spot that they are now at least this is a good like the division was wide open and the vikings were like why not us you keep grabbing the brass rings every week to yeah. keep that pressure on them and just how many years have we watched the packers just run run a division just you're sitting there watching going I don't know how they do it week to week but they just keep winning and they keep put because there's pressure there when you're chasing them not only are you trying to chase for the division but now you're trying to chase for the playoff spot and if they're trying to get into that that wild card spot right now you look at other divisions and and how loaded they are with with records like they know week to week as they keep dropping these games because we've been there before you realize just how much faster people are running ahead of you and you can't keep up. And that is a very lonely feeling. 
Yeah, we basically left the Packers on red is what I'm getting out of this. They're, they're saying, hey, can you lose some games a little bit? And we're like, nah, nope. we're Throttle good. Throttle down. But nah, nah, we're It's good. good to see the Packers lose. I think that's the, the moral of the story. But as long as we keep winning, that's, that's pretty much all that matters. Speaking of, Justin Fields looking like he's really starting to understand this Bears team, this Bears offense coming off of a huge game himself. I mean, yes, they lost. I get that. It's not There's no moral victories in the NFL. But to be able to move the ball like he did in that game, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're going down to see the Bears at the in the season finale. And um, at that point, you know, as good as Justin Fields is, are the backups in for that game? Uh, Fingers yeah, crossed. Depends what know. happens to Philly. I mean, actually, I think what I was really going to ask, which I was just we were just talking about the division stuff. By the end of the year, is, is Justin Fields the solidified like has he solidified his place in the Chicago offense? Is he the guy of the future? Yeah, I, I I think he'll get another contract, but I don't think he's a guy of the future. I yeah. think what he's doing right now, uh, he's playing for next year being the guy and doing just enough where you have to pay him after his third year. And you say, okay, the pressure's on, but I, I still don't think he's the future uh, of the Chicago Bears, that quarterback. Um, I mean, you look at yesterday's game, that when they played the Dolphins, it looked like a Pac-12 football game. It was like over 700 offensive yards, <laughs> 35 to 32, uh, running back. The quarterback is your running back. And it, and it worked, but still, I, I just don't think they can win games and be sustainable with Justin Fields not having offensive line. And I, I think they're going to have to use their resources to keep him because someone else is going to use him if they let him go, and he's going to be a better quarterback than what he is right now. That might happen when you trade away the blocks of your the main guys of your defense and Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn. When I look at Justin Fields, you know, you said he's kind of figured out what this Bears offense is. It's run the ball because we really don't have any other weapons. <laughs> you have Cole Komet that that is the tight end. They just don't utilize him enough. And I think Justin is one of those younger because he has the legs. He always falls back on that as his escape plan. It's like, I don't see exactly what I need to start it. I'm not going to extend the play. I'm just going to run. And that was when you have uh, guys like Michael Vick and other people that, you know, he broke Vick's record in a single game. Eventually, they have to figure out how to be a pocket passer to sustain in this league because they can't take the beating that they repeatedly take. And it will buy Fields time in order to make sure that he can develop that because if he can't, then the Bears or whoever else has him will exactly know what he is. He cannot be a running only quarterback because that used to be called the Wildcat and that didn't work either. I think a guy like Fields has the talent, but he has to figure it out without being skittish. And I don't know if the Bears offensive line is going to afford him that for his future. He's seeing ghosts out there. Well, they are playing for picks right now, and it's looking like they'll have a high draft pick in the next season. Another team looking like they're going to have a high draft pick coming up in April will be the Indianapolis Colts, who after a 3-5-1 start fired their head coach, Frank Reich. Naming Jeff Saturday as the interim head coach, which as much that? as as much as like I, I like Frank Reich as a person and I really am sad to see him be in this position. I'm more intrigued by this interim head coach position because he's not on the staff. He's just a consultant for them. He's currently an ESPN analyst. The only coaching he has under his belt is with a high school so, I mean, this is interesting. I, I get from a culture standpoint and someone who understands the Colts as an organization, but it is quite an interesting 
uh, naming of, a, of an interim. I thought they were going to say Peyton Manning was going to be the offense coordinator. <laughs> I'm go. like, if we're, if we're doing this, like you're, you're just getting pe- giving people jobs just based off what they have done for the organization, then man, uh, get Marvin Harrison a job, get Edger and James a job. Like, <laughs> But you, you look at that and you say, it is still a little premature to fire a coach, in my opinion. They're two games out of first place in their division. Uh, the Tennessee Titans are struggling at quarterback. They can't figure out what they want to do defensively also. But maybe this is what they need. I mean, who I, I think it's a little early, but I mean, people, Jim Mersey says otherwise. So they didn't have a third down. They did not convert a third down last game. And they have Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I know he's out right now, but And that's the thing is I think the fact that it feels like everyone went into the season saying well, what do you have for an offense? And they go, Jonathan Taylor. And it's like, what happens if you don't have Jonathan Taylor? Oh, my God. They have, <laughs> been, been, hurt, have been hurt with injuries as, as well. I mean, Michael yeah. Pittman hasn't been able to stay healthy. Yeah, and that's the thing is it just feels like they've fallen apart as far as what the plan was, and now they feel like they're rudderless, and they just look at Frank going, you haven't been able to sustain due to injury. Like, you, you don't – you're not at least making it happen, and you're not able to – feel like you've you've lost the locker room. How have you lost the locker room going into week 10 at this point? So the other thing for me that that I found interesting was you have a guy like John Fox on your <laughs> coaching staff uh. <laughs> who you just bypassed. You're on a roll right now, Jay. Just saying, you have other former head coaches yeah, on your yeah. offensive That's why this is so staff, interesting. And you go with Jeff Saturday. And I'm like, well, apparently, you know, the analyst role has yeah. got him ready for head coaching. I mean, holy I'm just smokes. Gonna, I'm just going to say this and put this out there right now. I feel like this, a lot of this has to do with Andrew Luck. If Andrew Luck does not retire preseason and put them in a bad spot to begin with, they don't have enough time to prepare to replace him. They're not stuck in a position where the quarterback has just been this revolving door of guys that aren't working out for them. That's fair. Um but you do have to get past that too, right? You like, do, but I mean, we've seen we, we've spot. seen where a lot of teams like like when a marquee quarterback retires. Not that Andrew Luck is, but like also the just the timing of it was so. When you think back about how it happened, like in the middle of a preseason game, yeah. But the thing for me is that a guy like Jim Ursay then has to either understand that, or right. that coaching staff has to understand like there is no wiggle room. Period. Mm-hmm. And and if you have a guy like Andrew Luck walk out the door and you understand, like, he was supposed to be a generational quarterback who, due to injury and his own personal you know, feelings, he just said, I'm not willing to take the punishment. Yeah. And he advocated for himself and retired early. But what's the plan after that? You had a Jacoby Brissett. You sat there and went after Matt Ryan. And now that Matt Ryan hasn't worked out and you're bringing in uh, you know, a rookie quarterback to to try and save the day, and that's not working. And now you're going to fire the head coach. Like, look at this as as a totality of a season to say, can a former quarterback and Frank Reich coach up a rookie quarterback to be something by the end of the year? And I don't necessarily feel like if you fire the head coach, and now you're going to sit there and say we still have a quarterback issue. You know, if you if you have more than one quarterback, you don't have a quarterback on a roster. And so what's going to happen? Is Jeff going to come back in and go, nope, Matt Ryan's back in there. What <laughs> Maybe. Is, but that's my point. Is like, <laughs> what is that going to do for an offense? And for a team, you just have no stability on that team. That's a really good point, Tandem, you brought up. Because, like, it did start with Andrew Luck, but I still look at, like, Frank Reich, and I say, well, he is a guy that got him to the playoffs two years ago. Like, but shouldn't there have been luck with Jacoby Brissett? And shouldn't right, there yeah. have been something with, I mean, even in Sam Ellinger, who's been on the team, I mean, if you're talking about developing somebody, he should be... 
But it, I mean, the quarterback is always the number one talked about position on any team. Yeah. And then they invest in their defense and then they invest in their offensive line and they say, okay, we have the running back of the future. All we need is someone who can who can game manage. Which is why we are thankful that Kirk Cousins is playing as well as he is Absolutely. and has been in the system for as long as he has, or at least in this franchise. Uh, let's let's move on to some of the divisional talk. I know we we're thinking of things to talk about today, and and I uh, Jay, I'll go with you first. The Easts are beasts, yeah. is what you said. I mean, it is quite insane. It is nuts because if you look at this NFC North, uh, yes. it, these are the two divisions that we have to play this year. And collectively, oh, that's true. I didn't even put that part. That's together. the thing. It's like you're playing both of the oh, East divisions, wow. and they are insane. Buffalo's at six and two, the Jets at six and three, Miami at six and three, New England at five and four, and then you switch to the NFC side: Philly at eight and two, Dallas at six and two, Giants at six and two, and Washington at four and five. That, that is pretty crazy. Unbelievable to sit there and look at over two thirds of those games that they've played have been wins for collectively between the two divisions. So much for that preseason strength of schedule, right? Why can't we just play in the NFC South? <laughs> exactly. And that, <laughs> like, Do nobody has a winning record? Yeah, like, that'd be great. Now, if you, now, if you want to go positive on it, you can say, listen, after you get through all of these teams, you will have an understanding of who you really are at the end of the season. Yeah, but then you might meet some of these teams in the playoffs exactly. again. Oh. Exactly. And that's the thing is, you know, you do it the first time and you game plan one way, but then you have to sit there and... Yeah start going from playing checkers to playing chess in the yeah. playoffs and figuring out what can we still do and what are we changing up given what they've seen not only on tape for the entire season but against us and that is where the hope of having potentially a Philly rematch and, and you know down the road you really want to understand was that a fluke or was that a trend and or they could just lose to another team and we avoid them in the playoffs well, that was that was <laughs> yeah, we've too. been there we've yeah. been I'm there. just saying can someone just do us a favor we've been there <laughs> And, and But that's my point is like between all of these teams, especially if you want to really get pie in the sky and think Super Bowl wise, like the fact that you would have a Whoa. Buffalo. I'm just saying like Buffalo and Kansas City being those kind of teams, you have to be battle tested with these upper echelon type squads. And the the Giants, uh, Philly and Dallas are all not going to be cupcakes. And then Buffalo right now, the Jets and and you know Miami we caught him at the right time and then also Belichick with New England. Yeah. All of those teams are going to give us a run and and this November is going to be real interesting to see how we fare. One final storyline um we wanted to touch on before we uh get to our interview with tight ends coach and passing game coordinator Brian Angelico is Joe Mixon. And this is for producer Eric because Joe Mixon is the star of Eric's fantasy team this week. Go, Eric. Good job. 55 points. Yeah. If you guys are fantasy people, I mean, if you had Joe Mixon this week, how do you lose? How do you lose? Ah, good question. That's like three people, four people. I think the thing with Mixon, just in general with this game, was last week they kind of showed without Jamar Chase just what's our identity. And they went back to Joe Mixon and said, oh, yeah, that guy back there, he's, oh, yeah, he's pretty dang good, him. too. And so mm-hmm. they just let him go absolutely Dude, ham in that he game. Went bananas. He yeah. had 27 rushing yards and no scores last week. Yeah. And the Eric Bengals picked him are, up. Yeah, and Eric traded for him. <laughs> Manager of the year. Yeah. Manager of the year. I mean, that's to me, that's always like, that's almost like the identity of this Bengals team for me, though. They're a very boomer bust team. Sure. Uh, they just, they rely on their superstars to make it happen. And, and if game plan is for one person essentially to be (laughs) if it's going to be a passing game then they're like well i guess they're throwing a chase this week yeah and if all of a sudden they come up and say well they got a good secondary let's see what happens in the running game oh yeah you got joe mixon back there and 
And, and, and Mixon, to me, in the past, he's had these kind of games where he's had two or three touchdowns, and then he'll just go radio silent for three or four games because of the game plan. Like, I know we got NFC and AFC South next, um, so I'm going to just transition to that because the Bengals play the Carolina Panthers, who are in the NFC South, and literally Joe Mixon is the reason why two coaches are fired this morning. Uh, the Panthers fired two of their defensive coaches this morning because they gave up 241 rushing yards and five I didn't touchdowns. See that. So okay. uh, they're starting their third quarterback this year in Sam Darnold next week, and they're still trying to figure things out there. But and I they're mean, but it, like they're still in the hunt for the title too. Like I mean, what two, is up with two this? Games, two games behind. Like I, I honestly, <laughs> I personally don't want to play an NFC South team in the first round of the playoffs because I I feel like they're going to figure it out. Like they're they're like going through all the growing pains right now and trying to figure out who we are as a as a division. And Tom Brady, who just um, threw for a hundred and hundred thousand passing yards in his career, is like, okay, we're number one in our division. We don't have a winning record. We don't have any type of identity. Week fifteen, week sixteen, week seventeen. That's when we need to start winning games. We're going to win streak there. We'll win our division and start making some noise. So uh, the NFC South, which is thirteen and twenty two. As a division, embarrassing, I, very <laughs> embarrassing. It's <laughs> pathetic, but at the same time, I, I I do feel like they're going to make some noise this this uh this postseason. I was just looking at the um, the Atlanta Falcons. They they could have won and beat the Chargers on Sunday, right? They yes. had a forced fumble, yep. and he got the ball stripped. Chargers go down and kick a field goal, and I read a stat afterwards. It said. If the Atlanta Falcons would have won on Sunday, it would have been the first time since 2017 they would have been plus 500 in the win-loss column. So uh, I mean, I'm not shocked. Clearly, the, the <laughs> NFC South is finding ways to lose. You want to talk about another one, go butterfly effect from two weeks ago. If DJ Moore keeps his helmet on, <laughs> they're first in their division that week. If they uh, win that game, yeah. they're first in the division. Yeah. He takes the helmet off on the Hail Mary. They get assessed the penalty, try to kick a 48-yard extra point, lose it, and lose in, in, in overtime. Well, yeah. and that's and that's the thing. Like, you count these teams out, but then Tom Brady comes back from the dead and beats the Rams. Yeah. Like, this is why I love the league. <laughs> the parody. The thing about the parody in the AFC South, right? The Tennessee, Tennessee Titans, number one team in the AFC South. The Tennessee Titans hasn't thrown a passing touchdown in the past four weeks. Yeah, and yet they had the and yet they're Kansas still City. in the running. They had the, three, Kansas City, games ahead. they had the Kansas City Chiefs on the ropes. Yeah. They should have done it, yeah. but they don't play well. Don't in you say it? Don't you say, say it? Due to boneheaded, don't you say coaching it? decisions? Thank you. And offensive play calling. Oh, thank you. And a quarterback. Oh, who, don't you say it? And a quarterback don't who did not throw it. a pass to a wide receiver <laughs> did not did not complete a pass to so a wide does receiver. Does he not complete a pass, or is he not allowed to? Because they really don't even let him throw the ball. <sighs> the bigger concern was in watching that game because I watched the entirety of the game. Was I was literally barking at the TV, going, "Throw the ball, throw yeah. the ball!" And whether it's downfield coverage being as good and and his receivers not being able to get open, like it was to the point where AJ Brown was trolling them on Twitter as the game was happening. Well, I they mean, put, AJ Brown loves be, trolls, be, so. but they put out the stat showing that their top two wide receivers combined don't have A.J. Brown's yardage for the season. He must have like, loved that. Like Malik Willis, like, I mean, Liberty alum. You right, know, yeah. I, I've known this for guy sure. for, for eight years. And I when they drafted him, the first thing I said was, this offense doesn't fit his sure. skill set. And, mm-hmm. that, I mean, that doesn't, you know, explain why he hasn't had a pass to a wide receiver. But still, like, you can tell he doesn't look comfortable in that offense. Like, yeah. it's just give the ball to – uh, Derek Henry and just get out the way where he's a gunslinger and he's a guy that that wants to be a part of the moment. So. And that was the problem was that 
when they got to the fourth quarter, Derrick Henry for the game was going bananas, When but they knew to key off of him. So then when it turned into Derrick Henry wasn't on the field in the fourth quarter, essentially, Derrick's like looking at the coaches going like, what's going on here? Malik has to make a play because they're getting in third and long situations. And then they're just pinning their ears back and, and teeing off on the offensive line and, you know, making his life miserable. And your point, what the same discussion we just had about Justin Fields is the way I felt watching Malik last night. It was the same kind of a thing where you're like, he's trying to process, trying to find where he's supposed to go, trying to do it. A lot. Meanwhile, scrambling for his life to try to make something happen. And in the end, instead of throwing the ball away, he's taking sacks because he's trying to make something happen with his feet. But you got four people on you, to, you know, hunt you down at that point because it's taking too long on those plays. And, and whether, you know, his help isn't coming back to help him to give him some options for receptions or whatever. But it was just a very frustrating game for watching a Tennessee team where you're just sitting there going, they're so dang close. You had Kansas City on the ropes. You should have finished this game. And when you needed, they literally on the broadcast, they said, now we're going to find out what, you know, Malik is made of and what he's going to be as a player. They have to have it. There's a two minute situation. And he literally took what he threw the ball away once and took two sacks and and, and just got, just got beat up. Uh, It's some, it's some bad football in the NFL right now, but you, you look at that and say you're halfway through the season. Anything can happen now. Like usually this is when teams usually start to figure out who they are and they have an identity. And hopefully uh, this Vikings team can, can capitalize on that bye week a couple of weeks ago and, and say, okay, we got this this Buffalo Bills team on Sunday. Uh, nobody's giving us a chance. We're not getting any media coverage simply because every team we've played has has has, has had a losing record. So if if the Vikings win on Sunday against the Buffalo Bills, I think a lot more people will be taking us serious. I saw a Robert Griffin the third tweet on Sunday that said, "Shh, the Vikings yeah. are seven and one." I get it. <laughs> I get it. Like I love yeah. it. <laughs> like I mean, it, it, we're we're a sneaky. That's fine. I'd rather be sneaky under the right. radar exactly. all day, every day, all day, every day. I do agree Less with you. The, the The Bills game will be a big one. Um, I know that it hasn't been flexed, so it's going to be its noon kick. Dang. The game is going to be at noon on Fox, and so I have a feeling it's going to be a lot of people watching. The reports. Early today on Monday, say that Sean McDermott, Sean McDermott is talking about Josh Allen's injury that he sustained in yesterday's game to not affect him for the game. He should be able to play. But again, it is Monday. We are not really sure how that's going to develop down the line. But um, how do you guys feel about this game being against a team that just lost in a, a division game. I mean, when you think about getting a team when it's frustrated or angry, as opposed to feeling really good about themselves and maybe discounting what the Vikings are doing. I, th- I think this game will actually see who the Minnesota Vikings are as a team. Um, we, we've played all these comeback games where we've had to figure it out in the go. If, if we don't play a, a perfect game on Sunday, I, I can see us not winning on Sunday. And I'm going to just put it like that and dissect it and you figure out what I'm trying to say. Uh, But long story short, this is a a, a Buffalo Bills team that does not make a lot of mistakes, but the mistakes that they do, you have to capitalize on them. The New York Jets did that last week. They played with a short yardage. They they held the ball. They understood what they needed to do to Josh Allen and keep him in front of him. And if we don't do that, I mean, we haven't had success with with running quarterbacks uh, the past few weeks. So 
have we figured it out? Our defense has been lights out the past couple of weeks. Our offense, we threw the ball phenomenal yesterday. We ran the ball a couple of weeks ago great. Can we put that all together? This this Buffalo Bills run defense, uh, third in the NFL, but have given up over 400 yards in the past two weeks. Can we continue to capitalize on that? That that It's a lot of questions going into it, a lot of storylines. You, you really have to think, is this Minnesota Vikings team real? And I, I don't think many people can answer that question until Sunday noon kickoff. You are underdogs going into this game when it comes to the way the public sees it and the betting in Vegas. All, exactly, all that <laughs> stuff. I mean, they're saying seven, seven and a half at yeah, this point. So it just mm-hmm. it just means at this point, though, that everyone believes in the Bills and they still don't understand fully what this team is with the Vikings. I've I mean, been, I don't think we really understand fully, right? I mean, and like maybe we've they seen, don't either. We've and, seen and, all the parts, but like you said, that hasn't come together. But if you get a and win all at once. If you get a win this weekend though, that puts you on a rocket ship trajectory of everybody will be walking in this door saying, I want to talk to everybody. What is the secret sauce and what is happening with this team? Mm-hmm. Listen to the Minnesota Vikings podcast. I've already Monday. seen an increase in media, though. Like, <laughs> sure. the yeah. media is following them. They're traveling. There's a lot more requests. Kirk was on Pat McAfee today. Yeah, we had ESPN here last Monday, right? Last Monday, Matt Hasselbeck yeah. with an interview. Kirk Cousins is on the Manning cast. He's on the Manning cast uh, tonight, tonight during the third quarter. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot going on. That's what happens when you start doing well. And it just means that then for the next what, three games after that, Yeah, those expectations will keep ramping up against those top-tier teams. So, again, whether it's this week's game coming up against the Bills or the next month's worth of games, your expectations are going to keep going up depending on the success that you have. My my last thing on that is I, I think this game, it means a lot to this Minnesota Vikings team, but it means a lot more for the Buffalo Bills simply because they lost last week. Think sure. about it. They have a bunch of storylines coming into yeah. this game, too. They knew our record also, and they were like, oh, we got the Jets. We, we beat them already. We understand. We understand what we need to do. But Leslie Frazier playing the Vikings, Stephon Diggs playing the Minnesota Vikings. It's like, oh. James we, Cook. James Cook. I didn't even think about that. We're playing this team that that's 7-1 right now. And this is the only game we've been looking forward to. Now we lost. Okay, we got to win now because we don't want to be looked at as a So they're under more pressure for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. And the difference is we won our trap game and they lost it. Yeah. So now that starts to creep in a little bit of doubt. Mm. The difference for them is they get to play at home. So they've they've got the crowd. They've got the juice. You got to find ways. You got to find ways to jump on them early in order to make them start doubting themselves again in order to, you know, put the pressure on them once again. Well, I guess it's about time to get to our guest for this podcast. Uh, Really excited to have him on, especially after all of the moves, or just the major move that Quasey made last week, acquiring tight end TJ Hawkinson. So let's bring him in now. Joining the Minnesota Vikings podcast now is Vikings tight ends coach and passing game coordinator, Brian Angelico. Brian, thanks for making the time for us on this Monday after a victory. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you've had a pretty exciting six days, I guess you could say, um, with the blockbuster or or a really rather shocking trade, I think, for some Vikings fans of TJ Hawkinson. How did you first find out this was even a possibility? Yeah, I think when... uh you know, Irv got hurt. I think things, uh, you know, discussions started happening. And really, you know, Quasi and his staff did a great job. They put it together. 
quickly, you know, and they, um, next thing I know, we were trading for TJ, so we're happy to have him. Yeah, it was good to see him out there also, nine catches, 70 yards. Uh, you always look at it, you know, the stat sheet first, but what else did you see from him that, that really stood out on Sunday that didn't show up in, show up in the stat sheet? Yeah, I think, you know, just his uh, communication on the sideline, you can tell he's, uh, you know, he's played in this league. And uh, the discussions and what he was seeing on the field, um, you know, going through the pictures. And uh, he did a great job with that and just his composure. It was uh, it was impressive. When you when you guys were looking at who you could potentially fill in the gap when Irv went down, why was TJ such an important person to target? Well, I think certainly, um, you know, playing against him in this division, there was familiarity with him. And, you know, those discussions that uh, go on between Quasi and uh, the Lions, you know, I, I really don't know much about mm-hmm. them or how it all comes about. But, uh, you know, I think it was just a, a player that they felt could help the team. And, um, you know, there was a, a chance that he was going to be available and, uh, you know, pursued it. And uh, fortunately, it worked out. Brian, uh, I was at practice, I believe it was Wednesday, and I, I remember seeing you, I think it was Johnny Munt and TJ Hawkinson off to the side, you had a paper in your hand and you were just like walking through plays and like it was literally just his first step. What was that process like of just getting him on board? Did you have to start all the way back from square one with him? Yeah, I mean, it, first of all, it's a complete credit to him. Hmm. Um, you know, the, the the preparation and the work that he did, you know, and it started literally Tuesday night when he got here. Um, you know, whenever he came in the building, nine o'clock or whatever, we started on the, the game plan. And uh you know, just hear, letting him hear the call, um, know his assignment. That's half of it. Can you hear the call? Do you know the call? Can you execute the call? And it's just that process that's going through his mind to translate the formation from the protection, from the the route, right? What do all the terms mean? What's the sequence of the terms? Uh, you know, hearing the audibles and the alerts. So that's all we were trying to do is in, in his mind, and then he's got to take that and translate it into – it's like learning a different language, you know, and that's really what it was. But as far as, you know, his techniques and how he does things, uh, you know, he's he's been doing that. So, um, you know, it's just more about him learning the the scheme and what they meant. Well, obviously, you started the process early on Tuesday. But when in the week did you know that you could implement or, or have him play the majority of snaps? Like, when were you comfortable with that? You know, that was just it was going to evolve as the week went along. But our approach was, hey, we're just going to, you know, he's going to learn the game plan just like all our other players. And uh you know, as we get towards the end of the week, we'll, uh, you know, make a decision where his comfort level is at and uh, where ours at and go from there. But we we were just, you know, going to go ahead and full speed ahead. And, you know, he felt good with it. He, uh, I think he proved it in practice. And I think everybody felt comfortable with it. I mean, speaking of that comfortability, I think it, it shows when you look at the snap count. We had a 66 offensive plays on Sunday. He was in 60 plays. How, how much of that was <laughs> was like, hey, you know these plays versus Kirk is in the huddle right here on this play. You run right and you seal the corner. No, he he honestly, he knew his assignment. Oh, wow. Like, it, wow. I, I think the dialogue, and you would have to ask Kirk, but I, I think there was, uh, it was him just hearing the play call and executing it. And there was, you know, a lot of time spent with him going through that call sheet and as, on his own. And, and yeah, he, he, he knew it. 
Like he knew it. Now he might not have known what everybody else was doing on that play <laughs> or where everybody else sure. lined up, but he knew what he was doing. I got to be right here. Yeah. 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 Well, and he, after the game, he mentioned that he worked a lot with David Blau as well, who's obviously a former teammate of his in Detroit. And David's been in the system for a lot longer than him, even though it is by only a few months as well. How much of a help was David? Or I guess, like, what is something that he helped TJ along with? Yeah, David was tremendous because, um, you know, David knew the language in Detroit as well. So David could say, this is this concept. And then TJ can now, OK, yeah, I got it now. Like, I understand the the, the play design and the intent of the play and uh, the play expectation. So he bridged that gap as far as being able to, you know, get some sameness to what they called it in their terminology in Detroit. I remember uh, Kevin O'Connell. We were all in Washington together. Uh, in 2018, I remember. I remember Kevin O'Connell basically saying when Mark came in that 2018 season, uh, he had to use some of the same terminology. So it was like, "Hey, it's Subway." Like he would tell everybody on yeah. offense one play, but like, "Hey, Subway on this," and Mark knew exactly what to do. How much of that still goes on in the league today when you get around the trade deadline? Yeah, I mean, uh, I remember I was in Green Bay when Kevin uh, was telling me that story, <laughs> and uh, and Jay's trying to give him the play, and then Kevin is, well, just call it this, he'll know the play. So that, that is a funny story. But I think, I think a lot of people in the league are running similar plays, yeah. um, but I, I I think it's the the terminology, though, you know. You know, uh, TJ's never been in this system with this terminology, so this was new language for him. But, you know, if you come from another team that has this system, there's, I mean, plays will be called exactly the same. Now, the code words might be different and the snap counts, so that's all different. But as far as the play origin of the play name, there's similarity. Once he gets this system really under the belt in the next few weeks, how do you see him being a weapon for the, for the run game? Yeah, I think with him, it's just about where he fits in for the plan we're trying to execute that week. Um, And I think that can change week to week, depending on the opponent and the various personnel groupings we're going to play in. But uh, I think like with all our tight ends, you know, their their expectation is that they have to, uh, they're going to have to block in the run game. They're going to have to catch in the pass game and, and run routes. So he'll, we'll try to play to his strengths, but we'll, um, you know, do what he does best. But, you know, he's going to certainly have a significantly more role as the, as the season goes on. Coach, you, you've been coaching tight ends for a while now uh, in the NFL. Um, how has that position just evolved over time from from when you started coaching? Yeah, it, it certainly has evolved. And you see a little bit more of the you know, the, the, I guess the style offensive is involved, right, with the formations being spread out, the ability to get a, a tight end that can, um, you know, control the middle of the field. And I think the more you can get a tight end that can, uh, that can create matchup issues for linebackers and safeties, yet still being able to block, I think that's where you really, think, you really have the, uh, the answer for the defenses because you can kind of dictate stuff on your terms. I think sometimes when you just have pass-catching tight ends, you, you can become limited as far as and show some tendencies to the defense. So I think everybody's striving to get a guy that can do both. But certainly I think the, the pass-catching tight end is um, is becoming more and more a part of this league. Coach, you were 7 of 9 in the Reds on the past two games, and that's an area of the game I think Kevin mentioned that you have a lot to do with the plays that are called there within the Red Zone. 
what what's led to the success? Well, I think execution, the players. I mean, we got good players, and uh, you know, Kirk does a tremendous job down there with the game plan. You know, he's he's uh, changed plays down there based on the looks that we want. Did a you know tremendous job in the Arizona game, um, and I think it's you know it's the execution and the the players' ability to take the game plan and bring it to life and you know, uh, win their individual matchup when called upon. And the line did a great job. The backs, I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty fortunate to have those guys. What is one play that Kirk and the team has scored on that maybe he changed at the line? Uh, I think there was a big catch by uh, K.J. Osborne uh, <laughs> in the Arizona game. Yeah, where, that's what, uh, that was a big one. He, he got yeah. us in a, a protection adjustment. The play was the same, but he got us in a nice, an excellent protection adjustment. Nice. Uh, understanding that, I, I mean, Laura Will and we make the playoffs. Irv Smith Jr. is back. Uh, this tight end room is at full strength. How do TJ, Irv, Johnny, all of those guys complement each other going forward? Oh man, that would be uh, that would be great. Um, I think <laughs> I think they complement each other very well. Number one, they're all selfless people, um, tremendous workers, have great skill sets, um, and do things a little bit differently. So, how so? How so? If you don't mind me asking. Well, just just in the standpoint, you know, Johnny's, you know, you're more your traditional blocker may not have the. You know the the pass game numbers or uh, that Irv and TJ uh, possesses guys that can go out there and match up on safeties, but but all do things differently and uh, effectively. And when you get that, you can kind of play the game a lot of different ways. Okay, awesome. Well, Coach, we really appreciate you hanging out with us and giving us a little bit more insight into this massive change that we've been through, adding TJ Hawkinson. What a great addition to this team. Really looking forward to seeing what you guys do coming up next in Buffalo. Yes, sir. Yeah, thank you. The Vikings are headed back out on the road this weekend. Thank you so much to Brian Angelico for being our guest on the podcast this week. Looking forward to seeing what he's got cooked up for TJ Hawkinson and the rest of this Vikings offense against the Buffalo Bills. I know that this team takes it one game at a time, but I don't know about you guys. I've had this game circled for a pretty long time, knowing what uh, we knew about this potential of our team as, as, a, as well as knowing what the Bills were expected to do this season and so far have executed. Um, so now it's, it's, to me, a bigger game than I could even imagine. Yeah, no one expected the Vikings to be 7-1. and one. No. I think that's the, the big surprise here. Uh, the Buffalo Bills, until last week, it was them versus you the know, college, college teams. Right. <laughs> um, so the fact that they seem yeah. mortal now, uh, it, it makes for a very entertaining game. Oh, I like that. They look mortal now. That's nice. For sure. I, I think for me, the ties that we've had with Mr. Allen's coming out party was him hurtling Anthony Barr at U.S. Bank Stadium and everyone saying, who <laughs> is Josh Allen? I thought you were going to say Jared Allen <laughs> no, hurtling your horse. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> who is Josh Allen and why did he just beat the Vikings when we were expected by double digits to win that game? Um, since then, he's been on a crazy trajectory through not only his career, but with this team. And um, for me, you've got that. If he doesn't go, then you get the juicy storyline of Case Keenum and Stephon Diggs yeah. against the Vikings. Like you said earlier, Leslie Frazier, there's so many storylines. I can't wait. Well, we can't wait to tell all of those storylines on Vikings.com and on the Vikings app. Obviously, you can read all of the wonderful work by Lindsay Young, Craig Peters, and Sam Thiel on the website. They'll have a ton of stuff coming out this week to get you ready for Sunday's game. And then on the production side of things, we will have Coach O'Connell's 
X's and O's. We've got film review with Pete Bursich. And then we also have the Audible coming up for you guys. Gabe, who are our guests this week? Yeah, I'm thinking Sunday's game comes down to a game-winning field goal. Mm. So Greg Joseph oh, and Brian Wright. Oh, you mean like this Wright. past Sunday? No, this or... coming Sunday. Oh, it's going to come down to a game-winning field goal. So why not have Greg Joseph, the kicker of the Minnesota Vikings, and Ryan Wright on the show? So those two guys those two guys will be the guests. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to Ryan Wright especially. I mean, he, I love his, like, positivity, and, like, he's just kind of like a dude. Like, he runs out of the tunnel. He's giving fans autographs. He's like, I don't care if I'm just the punter. I'm signing your stuff right now. He was, like, running down the sideline in Washington, high-fiving everyone in the stands after the win and, like, yelling. And I'm like, man, like, I've never seen a punter get this jacked about things. Enjoy your NFL experience, right? Literally. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Literally. I guess rookies are going to rookie, right? For sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also coming up this week, we have our game day live interview, and that is set to go for Harrison Phillips, who's making his return to his former team. And Harrison, not one to uh, be quiet. I don't want it to sound like an insult. He just loves to talk, and I can't wait to sit him down and have an extremely long conversation with him about his return and just about the season so far for him being on a new team and experiencing the success that we have. So I'm excited about that one. Yeah, that'll be fun. He gets it. He does. He, gets he does. It. And then, yeah, just keep abreast on everything with the Vikings on Vikings.com, the Vikings app. We've already talked long enough. So we will sign off on that note and we will see you guys again on Friday when the next episode of MVP is released. We'll talk to you guys soon. Have a great week and happy seven and one. Lifetime, the official athletic country club of the Minnesota Vikings has something for every member of your family. Get your family going today at lifetime.life forward slash kids.